Well, I think it's fair to say that there would have been more songs written about love than any other topic. In fact, I'm sure if I gave you 60 seconds, you could each come up with a dozen love song titles without trying too hard. So if we want to get a feel for how the world thinks about love, then I think love songs are probably a pretty good place to start. So what is love? Well, let's see if you recognise any of these. Love is a battlefield. Love is the drug. Love is a bridge. Love is like oxygen. Love is what you want it to be. So there's some answers to the question of what love is. But what about the question of why people love? Well, let's see what wisdom we can get from love songs there. See if you recognise these. Loving you is easy because you're beautiful. To know him is to love him. And my personal all-time favourite, I love the way you love, but I hate the way I'm supposed to love you back. (laughs) Words to make a girl's heart melt. Well, the topic of love is clearly something that inspired John to pick up his pen and write too. And while he wasn't writing a song, he does have a lot to say about what love is and why as Christians we should be a loving people. And it probably won't surprise you much that John's ideas about love don't look much like what you'd find in your typical love song. Well, in today's passage, John uses the word love or similar words like loving or loves about 32 times by my count. So I think that's probably more than a lot of Australian guys use it over their entire lives. (laughs) But John doesn't talk about love because he's an early sensitive new age guy. John's making the point that you just simply can't separate God and love. You can't understand what true love is without understanding who God is, and you can't understand who God is without understanding what it means to love. So on that note, let's turn to the passage, and I want to start with a statement that John makes in verse 8 and again in verse 16, that God is love. God is love. It's only three words but together I think they make one of the most profound statements in the whole Bible. But what exactly does John mean when he says God is love? Because it's a bit of a strange expression really, isn't it? I mean, we might describe someone as being loving or lovely or maybe even lovable, but you wouldn't say that someone is love, would you? But I think John's choice of words here is quite deliberate because when he says that God is love, he's making an important statement about who God is. You see, John's telling us that love is more than just one of God's personality traits or something that we might see him do from time to time. He's saying that God is defined by love. In fact, love is at the very heart of who God is. To know God is to know love. But not only does the statement, God is love, tell us something about who God is, it also tells us something about why it is that he loves. And the reason is as simple as this. God loves because it's his nature to love. In other words, God's love for us has everything to do with who he is and absolutely nothing to do with who we are. God's love flows from him because of how loving he is rather than being a response to how lovable we are. Well, this is a very different picture of love to what we typically get from the world, isn't it? And I think we saw some good examples of those in the love songs before, like loving you is easy because you're beautiful. And the thing about this idea of love is that it doesn't start with you. It starts from the other person. 
Love is a response to the other person. You love them because of who they are, maybe because they're beautiful or funny or likeable or whatever the case might be. But contrast this with God's love. God's love starts with him. He loves solely because of who who he is. His love has everything to do with his character and absolutely nothing to do with ours. Well, there's some big concepts there, so it's probably worth just pausing for a minute or two to think about what it means for us to have a God who is love. A couple of months back, Lyndall and I and the kids went on a family holiday to Kinabarabrian. And one of the things that we did while we were there was to look at a scale model of the solar system. I can see some country people getting excited there. So, uh, We had a look at a scale model of the solar system that they've set up. Uh, so the way that it works is that the uh, large observatory at Siding Springs represents the sun, Uh, And then as you drive out from there, you head past each of the planets with the size and the relative distance of each of the planets all in proportion to the real solar system. So within the first five minutes, we went past Mercury, Venus, Earth and Mars. And to give you a feel, Earth was about the size of a basketball. Uh, A little bit further along, we went past Jupiter. You can see the kids there under Jupiter to get a sense of how big that is. Uh, We then travelled a bit past Kinderbrabrand to get to Saturn and a bit further still to get to Uranus. And we've been driving for over an hour before we got to Neptune. And to be honest, we drove for so long after going past Neptune that we actually completely forgot about the solar system. (laughs) And it was only when we pulled over for a rest stop some two and a half hours later that one of the kids spotted Pluto by the side of the road. And it was a great way to get a feel for just how big our solar system is. And when you consider that there's billions of stars in the Milky Way other than our sun and billions of galaxies other than the Milky Way, you get a feel for just how unbelievably massive the universe is. And you also realise then that it must have been an immense God to have created all that. And if this same immense God is also a God who is defined by love, a God who is love, well, as Led Zeppelin would say, that's a whole lot of love. (laughs) And this is the same God who loves you personally. All this love is pointed at you. No matter who you are, God loves you more than you can imagine. Well, so far we've looked at the question of why God loves, but John also wants us to understand what God's love looks like. And he gives us the ultimate example of God's love in verses 9 and 10. So let's read that together. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So back to the earlier question, what is love? Is it a drug, a battlefield? Well, I think John's saying that if you want to know what true love looks like, you need to look to Jesus. You can forget Romeo and Juliet, you can forget Titanic, Uh, The story of God sending his son Jesus is the greatest love story ever told. In Jesus' life, death and resurrection, we see the ultimate example of God's love in action. A love that held absolutely nothing back and a love that didn't count the personal cost. When Jesus died on the cross, he sacrificed everything for people like us who are completely undeserving. That's what true love looks like. So we've seen why God loves and we've seen what his love looks like, but what does this mean for us? 
Well, I think the big thing that John says that comes from knowing and experiencing God's love is that we'll then be loving people ourselves. And John's so keen for his readers to understand this point that he makes the same point over and over again in the passage in slightly different ways just to really ram the point home. Um, So let's look at four reasons that I think John gives us in the passage to be loving people. So reason number one, if a loving God is at work in your life, then people should be able to see this through you loving others. Because when we love one another, it reflects who we are as God's children. So John makes this point in verse 7 where he says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And he flips this around and makes the same point, but just in the negative in the next verse, in verse 8, where he says, whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. Well, if Lyndall and I laid all our kids' clothes out uh, on the floor, then chances are that anyone who knows our kids reasonably well would be able to have a fair go at guessing which clothes belong to which child. Uh, And I'm not just talking about the fact that there'll be boys' clothes and girls' clothes, and some will be bigger than others. What I mean is that their clothes tend to reflect something about their personality and character. So if you see clothes that are yellow or have owls or elephants on them, it's a pretty safe bet they belong to Imogen. If you see clothes with blue or black on them or have superheroes or dinosaurs, you can be pretty confident they belong to Theo. There's a fair chance they'll be pretty grubby as well. And if the clothes are a particular shade of aqua or have a bit of bling about them, then chances are they belong to Ava. Well, in the same way that clothes tend to reflect the character of the person who wears them, if God is in you, then people should see evidence of his personality and character when they look at you. So if God is love, then you showing love to others will be evidence of God being at work in your life. So that was reason number one for us to love other people. And I think the second reason we can see in verse 11 where it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And it's the same idea a bit later on in verse 19 where he says, we love because he first loved us. So if we truly understand the depth of the love that God showed us and if we truly understand just how undeserving we were, then there can be only one response and that's for us to show the same love to other people. Okay, so that was reason number two. I think the third reason John gives us for us to love others has to do with the way that we portray God to the rest of the world. So let's read verse 12. Verse 12 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I think this actually echoes a well-known verse from John's Gospel. So in chapter 13 of John's Gospel, he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So we know from the Bible that Jesus died and that he promises one day that he'll return. And in the meantime, one of the main ways that the world will see God's love and get to know him is through watching the way that we as Christians interact with other people. In other words, when we love one another, it's actually a way that we can make God known in the world. And we shouldn't underestimate the challenge that this presents. So think for a moment what your reaction would be if you saw one of these books on a bookshelf. And these aren't real books, by the way. Everything in Moderation, My Guide to a Healthy You by Keith Richards. <laughs> or what about Humility, a Twitter guide by Donald Trump? Or Inner Beauty, a Kardashian guide to avoiding superficiality? 
Now, I guess we laugh because in each case, I think uh, the way that the person lives seems to arguably be slightly at odds with the character trait that we're talking about. Um, But I think it's important to acknowledge that as Christians, uh, the idea of us talking about what it means to love, for people outside the church, that can be a difficult idea to swallow sometimes too. So let me now ask you the question, if someone outside our church saw this book, Followers of a Loving God, the Campbell Street Church story, what would their response be? Would they laugh at that? Or would it make complete sense to them? So what impression do people get of God when they watch the way that we interact? Do they get a little glimpse of the character of God, a God who is love? Or would our interactions leave them with a tarnished view of God? Once again, if we claim to be followers of a God who is love, then people should see evidence of this in the way that we relate to each other. So if the first three reasons for us to love other people weren't enough, I think John gives us the knockout blow in verse 21 where he says, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must love his brother. So God commands us to love one another. Or to put it the other way, if we don't love one another, we're being disobedient to God. In fact, in verse 20, John goes so far as saying that anyone who claims to love God but hates their brother or sister, well, they're a liar. Because you can't claim to love God if you're not obedient to him. And you can't claim to be obedient to him if you don't love those around you. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? But John really wants to ram home the point that loving the people around you, it's not an optional extra in the Christian life. It's actually something that's really at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. So having looked at four reasons that John gives for us to be loving people, I just want to pause for a moment to think about John's original intent in writing this letter. You see, in 1 John, the letter that this passage was from, he's writing to a church that's been shaken by false teachers. False teachers who are trying to make them doubt about whether their faith is the real deal. So when John's talking about how Christians should love one another... He's not doing this to make people feel inadequate for not loving enough or to question whether they're true Christians because they don't love enough. In fact, I think he's actually trying to do completely the opposite. I think John's actually trying to encourage them because what he's saying is that if there's love in the church, then this is a sign of a healthy church. He's saying that as Christians, if there's evidence of love in our lives, then we can have confidence before God. Because if we love one another, it's a sign that a loving God is at work in us. And if we know that God is at work in us, then that should give us confidence as we face the day of judgment. So that's the point he makes in verse 17 where he says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like him. So to be clear, John definitely isn't saying that we'll be saved by being loving people. It's God's love that saves us and not ours. But the point he's making is that if we are loving loving people, then this is evidence of God's love at work in our lives. And if we can see evidence of God's love at work in our lives, then this should give us confidence as we face the day of judgment because God's love is something that we can rely on. So what should we take out of this passage? Well, let me leave you with a few thoughts. So firstly, 
Maybe if you're someone who struggles to see how God could love you, maybe because of things you've done in the past, or maybe because you feel you haven't done enough to earn God's love. Well, I think the wonderful news from today's passage is that God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And better still, his love has precisely zero to do with who you are or what you've done. God loves you because of who he is, a God who is love. So please be encouraged by that. And for all of us, we need to remember that we're followers of a God who is defined by love, where people have been shown the most amazing love possible. And we should never stop being blown away by the extravagant love that God showed us when he sent his son, Jesus. So we need to make sure that there's evidence of this same love in the way that we relate to other people. We need to try to love others the way that God loves us. We need to be people who love, regardless of who it is that we're showing love to, and without counting the cost. And again, I don't want to pretend that this is easy, because it'll mean loving people that you aren't particularly close to, or it might involve personal sacrifice for someone you don't find particularly lovable. Well, can I encourage you to spend time thinking uh, thinking how you might be able to show love to people in your church? Uh, Perhaps you could do this at morning tea as you look at the people around you, or maybe at home you could read through the church directory. And while you're at it, think about people you know outside the church. What are some ways that you can challenge their thinking about God through practical acts of love? So what might this look like in practice? Well, it might be as simple as talking to someone different after church, or if you're really brave, inviting them over for coffee afterwards. It might involve preparing a meal for someone who's going through a hard time or mowing someone's lawn who can't, uh, for someone who can't do it. And just lastly, as we do continue to show love to one another, another as a church, let's all be encouraged and reassured by the fact that we can see God's love at work in us.